Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, all about club football, no mention of international football whatsoever. Hey Mark Donaldson. Fuck off Don sir. Come on to Scotland. <laughs> I'm just getting in quickly because I know you've you've had a go at me for for not getting into the whole international thing, so I thought I'd nip it in the bud. Jesus, Victor Meldrew <laughs> times whatever. Can we not just enjoy it? And do you know what? If it if it rubs off, as Stephen Gerrard said today in a press conference, um, it's got to be good for Scottish football as a whole, for club sides, for fans and, and whatever. And if that benefits Hearts in any way, I'm all for it. But no, Dunsar's like, no, <laughs> not going to our broth. They don't like me. Then Fenland have kicked me out. So I'm going to do another game in Glasgow. I'm just going to be miserable. <laughs> Look, just, just, just hold your wish. We, we have a guest. We'll, we'll have to behave accordingly. Um, joining us what? for, <laughs> what? I know, joining us for a second time, someone who I think does get into international football, Mr. Joel Sked. Hello. Uh, yes, I um, I, I'm very much on, very much was on your side, uh, Laurie, that I am. Club way way before internet before um, international and club before country I should say I would happily take a league cup win over Brecon than any kind of sort of uh, Scotland success but the one thing that um, strengthened my a little bit more of my feeling towards Scotland was uh, watching it and what fortunate I was able to watch it with uh, mates for um, filming a. Have you from the terrace? So it was quite it was quite good to get kind of swept up in it. But no, I'm I'm still very much club before country. Early plug, nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I should specify I'm not someone who wants Scotland to lose. I am just someone who has lost interest in international football generally. But I, I agree that it's a positive thing. I'm not going to say I'm I'm unhappy that Scotland did well. I just don't find myself getting that taken by it. Because it's all about hearts, and that's what we're here for. So enough about Scotland. Um, we're back. Uh, we don't have a game to discuss, and because we're recording this on Friday afternoon, well, for for Joel and myself anyway. For Mark, he's eating his wheat a bit. It's morning over in the states. Um, we're not going to talk about the Dunfermline game because it will have been played by the time you're listening. So we will just discuss that and the Alawa Athletic match on the next show, which means this week we are going to fill the gap with a chat about the Hearts documentary, um, more talk about Vladimir Romanov, his time at Hearts, which has been um, a subject of discussion on our Twitter account and on the show last week, and I guess any other tangents that might pop up as we go along. Okay, moving on to uh, an even hotter topic than a Hearts documentary. Um, oh, Christ, could you imagine a Hearts documentary during Vladimir Romanov time? I know there's been... There was, there, there was there, that's what I was about to say. I know, but the... I mean, like of this nature, I mean, behind the scenes okay, for yeah, that yeah, period yeah. of time. Obviously, I know they did a documentary, but sorry, a, a kind of behind the scenes expose of the different departments, it would be. I mean, uh, it was just one department. It was it was, it was Romanoff, and um, I'm sure Mark, were you in the when you were you in one of those um, uh, Romanoff documentaries when they filmed in Taunus or Vil- Vilnius? Yeah, there was I think six of us plus a BBC camera crew went over 
um, to, to Kaunas. We, it, it coincided. Um, the, the whole trip was designed for two reasons. One, so that we could get exclusive access to Vlad in his bank uh, in Kaunas. But also, on the same trip, we were able to attend FBK Kaunas against Liverpool in the Champions League, where they had no turnstiles. They had two guys in green jacket trying to stop 6,000 people from getting in at the one time. And that was around the same time where Vlad had this idea that he could maybe get involved in purchasing some of Liverpool and everything. So it was all done with that. And and obviously, Charlie Mann, uh, who was his PR guy who helped set this up, um, he wanted us to get the Liverpool mentions in um, because the hope was that the press in the UK um, might see that there was some semblance of interest from Vlad. But obviously, nothing like that ever happened. Uh, and as a result, um, Charlie Mann will be our guest in a couple of weeks' time here mm. on Around the Funnel. So there's a little uh, a wee exclusive for you. And Charlie has some has some exclusive. He's got an exclusive of his own that he will announce on mm. that show about Vlad's time with Harps. There you go. Um. I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I want to. Well, I told you before, and I think I've mentioned the story. I need to clarify the um, the <laughs> the sacrificial lamb um, on the way to Inverness uh, from the team bus <laughs> story that I'm sure I heard Charlie telling um, many years ago. But that'll be interesting. But on Vlad generally, so we spoke about it last week, and the reason it came up was because the giant podcast um, was released. Uh, on the um, Rickerton 3, um, the Reign of Terror podcast, which of course we, we spoke about. And it was overly dramatic, but it, it told a little story, a little part of the Romanov era at heart story. And I guess it was interesting from a perspective of the feeling that Hearts fans had, had and do have about Romanov and what maybe an outside source such as that would maybe look in and think what Hearts fans would feel about Romanov in that time. So, I'll obviously get your guys' thoughts on it, but I thought I'd go through some tweets first, because I put I put this out there, and just to, to clarify, I put a tweet out there basically after what we spoke about last week, saying, you know, hypothetically, would you have uh, taken a fan ownership model back in 2005 over Romanov um, if it had saved the club and offered more stability, but maybe less glory? And also asking, does the fact that we survived mean you forget and you write off I guess the negatives and the downsides of of the Romanov era. So I'll go through some of these and we'll, we'll see what we get back. So um, George Hobb says it was nice if only he wasn't a Raj. <laughs> That's one way to describe him. Um, saw great players and won cups. Probably worth it. I wonder how many clubs would have survived the banking crisis if the government hadn't bailed banks out and they wanted their cash back. Ukio had no such net and went tits up, which again is is, is very accurate a way of describing it. Uh, Andrew Neal says, I have fond memories of the success and chaos was fun in the short term. I think it would have been better if he had spent the money he did in a better way. Long form plan, sorting the stadium and our debt and less on the playing staff. I think we would have had longer term success. Um, King Danny B, who actually sat beside me during the Romanov era in the Wheatfield stand, says, Fisas and Skatchel attacking down the left wing right in front of me stroke us in lower G is still the best attacking football I have ever seen. And it's very hard to argue with that, Danny. Uh, I mean, a couple of points there. I mean, on the on the spending, Joel, is that one of the big frustrations? Um, obviously, we spent, we say we, Vladimir Romanov and... Um, 
and us in terms of money we didn't have. Money was spent in different methods. Is it frustrating how much, when you look at how much we spent, given the, I guess, the, um, the, the, the product, the output that we got from that? Yeah, that's that's massively frustrating. It's, it, it always comes back to a big what if moment. Of what if hearts were run, uh, not maybe not uh, prudently because uh, if they were run prudently, run enough in the space, spend all that money, but um, run sensibly with that money that we'd have easily solidified ourselves as the, the the third force. I, I still think we are the third force. I think uh, we are the third biggest team. Uh, there's no thinking about it. We are the third biggest team in Scotland, but we'd have been um, kind of... I We're think the sleeping we, giant now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but at that point, if we would have just, we would have been uh, put uh, some distance between us and then the dross behind us. And that that, that that's that's a very frustrating aspect because when you when you look at how well that giant that summer transfer window went and then they just never never um reached that level again and you, you even just go to january and the six figures you know, over a million pound wasted on um michaela and uh, and basleisure when you think it could have been put to just uh, much better use so that that is a very frustrating frustrating aspect of it one tweet, um, I'll just skip to one t- tweet here, Mark, because I know the, I guess the effect it had on people at the club and, and obviously jobs that were, were lost. Um, Matthew Harrell tweeted and he said, the jobs that were lost at the end of the Romanov era most probably wouldn't have been there if we'd continued with Robinson. Sub 10,000 crowds at an empty Murrayfield, most probably in the bottom six at best. He gave us the lift we needed and the time to get the foundation of hearts in place. A couple of things just to put past you, Mark, because um, there was a similar theme to a few tweets we got. And again, thank you to everyone for tweeting. I won't get to everything, but um, some really good points made. First of all, Romanov, what the I suppose the empire that came crashing down was created by him. So his effect, he created it, so it made very little difference in the end when it came down. And also, Matthew suggests that we needed this whole thing to 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 transpire and to play itself out to then get to the point where we could have the foundation of hearts in place and fan ownership could be a very realistic um a, a very realistic possibility because Blair Dinwoody said we needed to hit rock bottom before fan ownership through the foundation of hearts could work despite Robinson's best efforts we weren't there Vlad provided the dreams and life support until rock bottom arrived I wouldn't change the Vlad years for anything um, so do you think that there's an element of truth about that? Vlad's empire was created by him, so all he did was bring down his own creation, and then subsequently, we wouldn't have been in the position to come out of it the way we did if he hadn't been there. Yeah, I agree with with Matthew, and I agree with Blair. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack here. So Matthew's comments about the jobs that were lost. Funnily enough, when I was setting up Charlie's appearance in a couple of weeks on Around the Funnel yesterday when I called him, that's the point that he made. He said there could easily have been a lot of jobs lost if Hearts were to move to Murrayfield and sell Tyne Castle, that office space, which was owned by the Mercer family at the time, then sold back um, to Hearts. That would have gone. The whole stadium, of course, would have gone. And, and who knows what would have been required. As for Blair's point, that's an interesting one as well, because if you look at, um, at Hearts and how they reached rock bottom, Joel was talking about Hearts undeniably the third biggest. I agree with that. You're, it's totally subjective. 
But would Hearts have been third biggest team um, if they'd gone to Murrayfield? They didn't have a home to play for. They weren't overly successful and fans lost interest. I mean, ultimately, that 05-06 season was a pickup for Hearts and that got the interest peaked yeah. again in the football club. That got <laughs> the season ticket numbers from four figures to five figures. And I think Hearts as a whole, as a football club and everyone involved, should get a big pat on the back for maintaining that interest and still having a five-figure season ticket database nearly 15 years later. So yeah, that's... that's that. Something's been done right, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a really good point because I remember going to uh, Tyne Castle 2003-2004 season, 2004-2005 season. Remember, this is, this is a time when we were doing really well in league, back-to-back third-place finishes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we, we dropped in 2004-2005. And some big European nights, yet still going along at Tynecastle, and there was big, uh, there was swathes of empty space, like 12,000, 13,000 yep. uh, on like a kind of normal match day. Sometimes uh, it dropped uh, below that. So yeah. Romanov coming in really reinvigorated the, the club support because when you look at it, obviously we had uh, Save Our Hearts and stuff like that, that... I just have this picture in my head that if we went down Robinson's route, it would have just been it would just been so dreary. We'd have essentially sold our soul. I mean, people will say that we sold our soul to the devil with Romanov, but I don't think I think we were in the what middle the of no. I think we were in the middle of having our having our soul taken by the devil with Robinson moving to Murrayfield because I just I remember writing a writing a nutmeg article about Tynecastle and how in a, in a different in a different uh, different life, we I could just picture us still uh, kicking around Murrayfield and f- uh, fans drop uh, like support dropping to like seven eight thousand just because there's that disconnect. Romanov, for all his uh, ills, he came in and engaged the the heart support. There was that connection again. Of course, uh, loads happened, but um, it subsequently happened. But he um, he. He was a much better at that time. He was the the way out that Rob Robinson was uh, was taking us. No, it's a good point. Laurie, I just want to mention one thing, and I want to borrow a phrase from Stevie Clark, the Scotland manager, to do with the Hearts supporters. And he mentioned this with regards to the Scotland supporters. When he took over, he was asked what he thought. He said, I don't think the Tartan army or the Scotland support is extinct. I just think it's dormant. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that heart support was exactly the same. I think as a dormant support. Every club has a dormant support. It's getting them back there. It's not an extinct support, but it can be extinct if things are allowed to continue. And I don't want to even second guess what would have happened because Tynecastle for me is the place where it all began when my mum and dad took me there when I was a young boy and the same story can be told by any young boy or girl that their first hearts game at Tynecastle can you imagine that first hearts game at Murrayfield yeah but where do you normally play well Murrayfield well is that your home stadium yeah do you own it no that's soulless yeah so I think there's a dormant issue here as opposed to an extinct issue here. Do you know what's quite funny? I'm I'm just looking, and just while you were talking, I, I opened up an average attendance list for Hearts by season, and it's almost like there's these cycles of of um, defining moments which bring fans in, and then those fans become regulars, and then there's a drop off because of uh, I guess a, maybe a natural drop in in success, and then there's the next defining moment. And I was looking at it because. Before Romanov came in, so 97, 98, 15,500 almost average attendance, then it's 14, 14, just under 13, 12, 12. Under I'm looking 12. at 93, Laurie. I'm looking at 1993. And all the, again, just before I mentioned and you were speaking, 
Um, the average crowds, I don't know what they were, but home games against Wraith Rovers, 8,500, you think, yeah. okay. But then you go St. Johnston, 6,000. Yeah. And a home game against St. Johnston in October 1993. This is the season that we played Atletico Madrid. It wasn't a good season for us, and, and we finished seventh. But the only five-figure crowds were against Rangers, Celtic, Hibs, or in Europe against yeah. Atletico Madrid. The rest were pretty much all four figures. Average attendance. This was the last time our average attendance in the league. This is league average attendances was apparently below 10,000. But then I was going to say after 98, you look at it, it goes up and then it drops down to 0405 to it's 12,000. And then 0506, it's, just, it's almost 17, almost 16, 14, 14. And it gradually drops to just before the Roman Alvira kind of comes to an end where it's 13. And then it goes up to 14 the season we go down. But then when Ann Budge comes in, we're up to almost 16 again, 16, 16. And then for the last three, four, five seasons now, we've had over 16,000 average. So it's almost these cycles, isn't it, that you need these big moments that reinvigorate and get the next generation of fans involved and interested. That's the key. The next generation is, is the key because in 93, I've got a game here against Motherwell and I'm intrigued if, if Hearts Heritage or Gary Cowan or London Hearts or anything like this can tell me in, in the kind of current era, and I'm, I don't want to go back to the 70s and 80s because there were low crowds there, um, but in the current kind of era since the 1990s, um, through to today. Has there been a lower crowd for a home league game, not a cup game, for a home league game than Motherwell on the 15th of December 1993? 5,531. That is hell of a low. I mean, we're getting, we're getting was that midweek, sorry, was it? Um, it was a Wednesday night. Okay. Right? So 5,531. I'd just be intrigued to know because there were a lot of kind of six, seven thousand, seven thousand against Partick. Um, against the, the kind of so-called lesser lights that season, um, we weren't getting good crowds. But 5,531, that's as it's low as I low. can remember. And that was, I remember, I don't remember the actual game, I remember that season. Um, Mo Johnson was with us, it was a Scott Leach, John Miller era. Um, it wasn't the worst team in the world, but the crowd, I mean, for a midweek league game at home to get less than 6,000, it's low. We'll find out. I mean, I won't look through it just now. We'll we'll we'll, we'll check it out and we'll get that confirmed for next time. But, but I want to go through some more messages and we'll see what else comes up because Catch Twenty Two messaged and and said something which kind of resonates with what we're just talking about. He says, "I, amongst many, took part in Pie Man out marches in o four o five. If we sold Tynecastle and played at either Murrayfield, some random land out at the airport." Um, we wouldn't. We would be the Edinburgh St Johnston. Absolute mints. Wouldn't change Vlad era for anything. Um, who else we got? Alan James says it's mixed emotions. Glad for the success we had and the players we saw, especially the legend that is Rudy. But the ending will always leave a sour taste. Onwards and upwards. Amaruso lets it run. Says. I think if the negative legacy was a well-intentioned but risky business plan, which most clubs would have been guilty of, then fair enough. But there were some very unsavoury decisions taken during that era that still do not sit well with me. Of course we can look back and generally write it off as a productive and rollercoaster spell as fans, but can also acknowledge the challenges that players and staff had during this time to keep the club afloat. Mark, on, on that, because you were... You were involved at Hearts. I know you weren't involved in everything on a day-to-day -day basis, but you were around the club. 
what what were the strains like at times on different departments and different people when when Romanov was, I guess, being Romanov? Well, there was an element of fear and an element of uncertainty, um, but also an, an, an element of okay, right, this doesn't get further than this office. Um, depending on on what happened, I, I wasn't behind the scenes, but I've I've spoken to enough people who were to get a fair idea of what was going on. We've spoken before about the the guy who looked a bit like Lurch, who would go around the place. Um, His name was Igor. No one knew his second name. His business card simply said his job title was expert. Um, And and, and it's interesting listening to to guys like Ryan McGowan, who was on a couple of weeks ago, talking about Marius Zaliukas and other Lithuanians, and and even the players, when, when the Lithuanians first came in, they didn't really want to, to get too involved with them because they didn't know what they were saying, if it would get back initially. And it was harder for the Lithuanians to have to integrate themselves into the football club. Um, behind the scenes, there were some really, really nice people uh, involved, like Lithuanians or, or Russians who, who were involved in, in the football club and, and who did integrate um, with the Scots and, and the rest who were working for Hearts. But to this day, and we'll never know if... The things that were said, you might a smile might um, might kind of be the case when someone comes into the office in the morning, but when they get on the phone, who knows what's being said? So there was always that. Look, just be careful when they are around, regardless of who it is, regardless if you think they're your best friend and they've integrated really well. There was always that kind of element of just be careful what we say in here, um, and that. <laughs> that's why I made sure that David Southern and Lawrence Brody were part of the acknowledgements at the front of Believe that um, that season, because uh, the, I knew there was a fair chance that um, word would reach Romanov that there was a book out. Um, but David and Lawrence certainly made sure that uh, the book was slow to get to Lithuania, if at all, because the first <laughs> question that would have been said was, why are you two mentioned as acknowledgements in this book? So, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot going on at the time um, at the football club. And you have to separate playing side and, and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I mean, Billy Steedman says, um, everyone has a maverick uncle, yeah? Well, he was ours. <laughs> and Billy also posted, you'll, you'll probably remember this, um, Joel. I remember, I think, I don't was I don't know if this was in the programme, was in one of these weird fan charter um, type manifesto things that he released. Um, but anyway, it's the one where he's got a picture of him sitting, looking like he's modelling some clothing line on a beach. That was a... the programme for... I'm not going to date dates up in front of me, but that was against Falkirk, and it was around the Christmas period. So I don't know if it was a Boxing Day <laughs> That's game. That's good memory. That's good memory. That's outstanding. Uh, the, the reason is because I, uh, I look at look at it every now and then. It's on your wall. Whoa. <laughs> I... I if, is, it your, I, is it your secret stash for nighttime? <laughs> if uh, uh, it's somewhere, I, I can I can assure you that it's somewhere. I've got that program, so uh, I've I've referred back to it a few times. So um, the um, shall I read the, it? Shall I read it? Was, Just cause, yeah, obviously, yeah. because people um, might not remember. I mean, I remembered some of the things, but so it's a picture. It's within the program, as Joel says it. I do remember we had some weird fan almost like manifesto one season do you remember i couldn't remember if it was part of that but obviously you're saying it's part of the program and and you know your vlad so i'll trust you it says <laughs> dear supporters even the most sacred places on this earth the places that house the remains of christ are blighted by profiteers and money grabbers 
<laughs> Likewise, in the football world, which is sacred for those who love football, there are also those, be they, be they agents, journalists, jealous hanger-on, or other wunderkinds who seek to ruin all that is good about the game. But it is the devil that is driving them forward, and they are not going to stop. All that will remain for me is to step aside and bid them farewell on their road to hell. V. Romanov. I mean, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> if you, if you, you don't, you don't, you don't believe he was. I mean, I don't even know what to make of that. I can't, what was going on at that time again? Where? What was this in reaction to exactly? I know he obviously had his his gripes with a lot of people, the Scottish football media especially, but agents and such like. But was it a trigger for this one? I, I can't remember. I don't exactly. know. It just, it just seemed like because of the timing of it, I'm sure it was before New Year. I think it was like oh, it was almost like his New Year message, which was uh, in <laughs> itself a wee bit, uh, wee bit disconcerting. But I, I, I can't remember around that time because obviously we're coming into the January transfer window. But I don't think there was any, I, I can't recall at that period of there being any kind of standout moments that would have uh, provoked him, but who knows, he, he could have, uh, someone could have written a column about him or uh, there could have been some, some something in the media that, 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 that arced him. Here's one going back to two or three months after that. Um, it was around the time where Paul Kiddy came into the press room with some bananas um, for the media because Vlad was convinced that they were all just monkeys anyway. So he gave us bananas. And that was around the time, here's the quote, I beg you, Mowgli, take the monkeys back to the safari park. (laughs) It was just nuts. That was a cryptic statement, one of many. And it's going to be really interesting um, to have Charlie on in a couple of weeks to talk to him about that. And I, I wanted to mention today that he's coming on. So if anyone does have any kind of questions that, that you want to to put to him because he he was basically Vladimir Romanov's spokesman. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I do have I do have I do have a question and it's surrounding the monkey that accompanied that uh, uh, that release because if I remember correctly it was on the website and there was a picture of a monkey with a t-shirt that had the sun logo yes. blazoned on it. Yes. And it was just to see if uh, if that had been photoshopped or Romanoff had actually paid for a monkey to come into Tynecastle <laughs> or uh, for, for, the, for the shot to be shot. I, I mean, the, 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 the whole thing around that time, this quote, to discuss whether referees take money or not is the same as discussing a woman who gives herself with no love. Isn't it better to concentrate on the standard of their work instead of looking for reasons for their poor performance? A woman cheats herself and nature if she gives herself without love. If a referee officiates a game based on his personal love, he commits a cynical crime, especially when the public has trusted him. I respect those referees who take money from two stupid teams and then honestly officiates a game. They do not harm football in any way. Though it is still bad, still everyone is equal for them. That arrives on your desk, and you're like, "What the hell do we do with this?" I would love to. I would love to have seen uh, Phil Turnbull and Sven Houston having to deal with uh, Romanov statements. <laughs> but um, I guess you know we've got lots of messages, and it largely um, on the positive side. But just. A couple of so um, wallet takeover said just simply the guy left us for dead and that was it 
um, Gary Cowan said, in the words of the great philosopher Morrissey, I can smile about it now, but at the time it was terrible. I can smile about it and even enjoy it to a certain extent now that I know the outcome, but nothing will ever make me revel in Romanov's personality. That's that, that one there, that kind of struck a chord. And that, that was something that I kept, I, I meant to ask you, Laurie, to ask Nielsen and Gordon when you had them on, you were asking questions. Yeah. And if they, if they get annoyed or um, kind of roll their eyes or frustrated about the glorification of Romanov. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I glorify him all the time. But if it's if, if these players who have if, have lived through that, if they if they think, oh, if if, if only the fans who kind of glorify him were in our uh, kind of in our shoes, they could have seen like how how mental it was. Whether they they get annoyed by that, it'd be interesting to put it past them because I think certainly Craig would have had some dealings uh, um robbie was maybe i know robbie was obviously captain later on but i don't know how that was when romanov was having his sort of um hand more hands-off period i think when robbie was the, the mm. kind of height of it so i don't i i'm just guessing that maybe craig would have had more involvement um we mentioned it to ryan um but i think by that point ryan said he didn't really have much involvement at all it was more just the, you know the people who passed on his messages so he was obviously came into the first team more you know 2011 2012 and although Vlad um I think he did start he kicked about a little bit after 2012 didn't he He got himself some kind of involvement but he he would he was obviously on the way out and had lost interest and was obviously losing lots of money by that point um it's just interesting to see both sides of it and I guess I mean from my perspective it's it is that double-edged sword it's it it it's hard to separate things at points because I've never felt so excited about Hearts as as under that Romanov um, era, especially obviously the first season. Um, but I've also that never part, felt that, that first season. That that first season, genuinely, oh, any um, under Burley, certainly under Burley, like every game we went into, the sun seemed to be shining. I know, obviously, it was it was obviously sorry in August and it was it was summer, so you'd expect, <laughs> you'd expect there to be uh, every now and then a bit a bit of sun. But it just seemed every game we went to, yeah. it was a beautiful day, and it just seemed to uh, that, that level is playing out radiant. after another three or four nil win. Yeah. yeah, it just seemed to radiate positivity, like kind of right across. And even when you think about uh, when you think about think back to those days now uh, you get kind of warm feeling it uh, comes comes across you and you smile uh, it was just it was just such a uh, just a, just a warm period i get that and i mean and i and i told that's why for me it's difficult but what i was going to say is the financial collapse is obviously the the obvious thing to to sort of to remember as a negative but mm. even before that i mean it was 2007 um I remember the game where I decided I'm not renewing my season ticket for the following campaign. It was um, United at home. Um, and it wasn't just because we got pumped, because I've seen Hearts lose poorly many times before and since, and will again in the future. But it was that game where everything was really coming to a head. If you remember, there was it was Frail was in charge. It had been pretty open that the, there was a, a, a divide in the dressing room. Management didn't know what was going on upstairs. And everything just felt like... It, there was no real connect I felt between the club, the fans, the players, and I remember walking out with twenty minutes to go, and I never did that. It wasn't something I ever mm. did. I think United had gone three up, and they scored another. I reckon that was a Barry Robson hat trick. Yeah, one of one of at least two. Like seven around time, yeah. Um, and I just I remember I didn't the, the following season I I didn't have a season ticket, and I actually barely went, and that's probably the probably the most I've been 
a fair weather fan that season, 07 mm. and it took me even the Shaba Laszlo one. It didn't. It wasn't until Jeffries came back that I really wanted to. I really felt that kind of spark again. So I think it's that two sides of it, isn't it? I've never felt so so alive for <laughs> following Hearts as I did under Romanov, but I've never felt so disconnected either. So, um, one of the interesting things we're going to go into more quick fire in a moment about some best players best moments and we got feedback from that but one thing I want to ask you about Joel and I, I think I know some of the reasons but Romanov is on the whole and I know some people but he is still thought of very highly and people think mm. of it positively and as fun even the crazy times now which I understand in hindsight but Anne Budge gets a very hard time and I know we've we've not had much success on the park but I think it's very clear her intentions are good whereas with Romanov you know who the hell knows what his intentions were a lot of the time. Well, is that is that sometimes difficult to get your head around how how much Romanov is thought of in a positive light, given he very nearly sent the club under and was clearly a narcissistic maniac. Mm. Um, uh, but obviously now the person in charge, who I think I don't think people we could criticise lots of things she's done, and we we have done in this podcast. But she, there's a lot of people just, I don't think, I think people would rank Romanov above Anne Budge a lot of the time. And that's that's kind of difficult when you th- try and think about it logically. Yeah, definitely. Because lo- looking back now, I think I might have, back then, 2005, I would have been 16, I think. So I was, to use some Jambos kickback parlance, very much a Vlad Sheep. And I probably <laughs> am still a Vlad Sheep at heart. But like looking looking back now, I'd be I'm more um, I'd be more kind of uh, I would, I'd question a lot more, and that's why I, I question more of Budge than I did Romanov because I was just like Romanov. I've I've strapped myself into a roller coaster. I'm just ready to kind of to, to ride it. And I think a lot of people see Romanov as anti-establishment. Uh, obviously, he provided massive moments, like for saving from from saving uh, Tynecastle to bringing in all these great players to, or allowing us to bring in all these players, uh, great players to some of the kind of best supporting moments as as, as Hearts fans. I also think there's uh, a, a big thing is the distance between the fans and the and Romanov because he wasn't. Um, because he he just seemed like out of touch and just seemed this uh, this figure you you don't really kind of know whereas Budge it seems more it seems she's closer and easier to um, almost easier to criticise and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, I do find it very strange I can't really put a, I think everyone will have their different view on it I just think certainly last season standing with my mates when I went to games is when everyone was like Levine must go, Levine must go. People were turning around. If it was if it was Vlad, he would have uh, he would have cleaned cleaned house by now. And I think that there, there's a lot of that where when times are going bad as they have done the last eighteen months uh, at Hearts under Budge, there's a kind of kind of hankering to go down that nostalgia route and remember Romanov's best times or his yeah his the grass moments. is always greener you don't remember yeah, exactly you try not to so remember he, the bad times he was always, he was always quirky whereas like it was just shit last season was just it was just it was just shit whereas with Romanov there was at least for for, for some fans there was a bit of amusement on the side uh, because of his uh, his personality 
But there was that lull in the middle, like with the season 07, 08, the one where I really took a back seat. And there was, I had lots of other things going on and I wasn't actually around Edinburgh for after 08 for a bit. But I didn't feel as connected and uh, to the club. And there was that lull in the middle, even when Shaba Laszlo was there and we were getting results. It was mm. very mundane. Um, and then it obviously peaked in, in 2012. But... There were these bits. It wasn't just all dramatic with Romanov. There were periods no. of just we're pesh and we're overspending, and it's and I, I I do one of the one of the key moments uh, of my kind of support. I used to ever since I've started this, uh, ever since supported Hearts, and especially from the kind of o three o four season when I uh, started to go regularly with mates rather than my, having to rely on my dad taking me that. I was like, I used to get so nervous before games, especially derby games. Yeah. Fucking hell, I'd be, I'd be an absolute wreck. But then there was a time during the Romanov period, the we'll all remember the game, Inverness beat us three two. Lee Wallace finished in goals, <laughs> yeah. and I remember walking out to get a game that day, and because Kurskis had been sent off for like Frotland, Richie Duncan, or something like that, <laughs> and I just remember walking out the game, kind of laughing. Just thinking, okay, so football is uh, football's more entertainment, funny. Just you shouldn't worry about it too much because it is just it's nonsensical. The week after, I think we played St Mirren, and I remember just sitting there. Uh, we were getting beat one 0 I think, and everyone was uh, St Mirren fans were singing, "You're shit," and uh, you know you are. And Hearts fans just sang back, "We are shit," and we know we are. And it was <laughs> that that moment it just sunk in. It's like we really, really need a manager. <laughs> was the, was the manager not maybe? Uh, Edward Malafeev at that point. Yes, well, been Malafeev or it been Frail or Korobotchka. Korobotchka or something. Uh, it was just, it was just that. That was, that was, that was a low. So we wanted to get some, some more feedback on the Romanov era, but some different points. And we put a tweet out there a, a couple of days ago, looking for fans' favourite memory under Romanov. It could, be, it could be a memory of Romanov himself or that era. Least favourite memory, apart from the ultimate financial collapse, which is the obvious one. Best signing of the Romanov era and the worst signing. Um, so many choices for, for both of those queries, uh, those questions, sorry. So um, I'll go through some of these responses and I'll get both of your feedback on it and get your thoughts as well. Um, Ian uh, McCallman says the 2012 Cup final as the favourite memory. Sacking Burley as the least favourite. Um, Scatchel best signing in Benny Usis, or Benny Useless, as he was, um, I wouldn't say affectionately known as, <laughs> um, to many fans. It, it, some obvious ones in there. It's it's funny, um, sacking Burley will come up with, it's come up with a few people actually, but it's one of those, and people say that's the turning point, and I'm of the opinion, and I think, if I get this the right way around, Mark, it was... Robbie, who felt we still wouldn't have won the league anyway, didn't he? But Craig yes, thought we might. Craig thought we had a yeah. Yeah, Robbie said he, we didn't have the squad, and I agree with that. I actually felt I thought we would have made a better shot at, a shot at it, and we would have been closer to Celtic. But I still didn't think we had the strength and depth to. You know what I think to win it. You know what I think is interesting, Laurie. That chat to set up Charlie Mann's um, appearance in a couple of weeks last night. We were talking about that. I said we'd had Robbie on as a guest and I had Craig and they disagreed. One thought they would or might have done. The other thought they wouldn't. His first response to that was George Burley thought we wouldn't. I said, really? Yeah, so I heard, we, no, I'm sure I heard yeah. that before, actually. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before as well. Yeah, he, he said, and I said, why? Um, and didn't he, have the squad. He said he didn't, have, he didn't have the squad. He said there were one or two injuries away from 
Just playing maybe another team in the league. <laughs> we we were we were still playing. So it's it's one of these things that I think gets kind of lost. Like some big moments, for example, the Hibs game when we won four 0 at the start of the season. Perhaps the Rangers game would beat them one 0 with Bednar. That Jamie McAllister and like Stephen Simmons were involved. Yeah, Stephen uh, Simmons scored in that Hibs game. Yeah, they, they scored in the 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 four 0 win, like coming off the bench and stuff. So perhaps did show that there was still that it wasn't a, a complete break from. We had the best uh, eleven in the league, I think. But as in, if oh, everyone was, up, was fit, it, it, it was up there having the best eleven. And but we didn't have the Rangers best squad. Find, no, as Rangers will find this season, you can have the best eleven if they if they do. But would you want the best eleven, or would you want someone who has a squad that maybe is either up there or not quite up there, but they've done it before? Um, it's it's a great argument to have. And and remember, I think Robbie talked about this. Sebastian Schemmel came in um, as a trialist at right back, played down at Hull, played another game as well. But Robbie managed to, to make that position his own or was certainly involved in, and Schemmel didn't sign. So there was an element of, of one or two kind of born and bred or one or two Scots involved um, along with the, yeah, the, we the, good the Lithuanians. Yeah, we, yeah we, we did have a good spine. Alan says, seeing world-class players like um, Eddie and Takis at Tynecastle uh, as the best moment, Barassa and Stroke Dundee United as worst, and I'm, I'm he probably means the same Dundee United game I was talking about. Um, best players, too many. Takis, Jankowskis, uh, Bednar, Rudy. Um, and his worst, he just says too many Lithuanian duds, but mostly Barassa. Alan doesn't like Neredjus Barassa, despite his giant shoulders. Um, John Cowan says Aberdeen at home to guarantee splitting the old firm as favourite yeah, memory. Um, he mentions Burley Sacking, Skatchel best player, and Graham Ricks as the um, worst signing, um, but that that game against Aberdeen, that was um, it's not actually. I'll, I'll say what my favourite moment was when we've gone through these, but that was up there though. That was the the tension that night was was incredible. I've not felt like that at a Hearts game many times at all, and I include kind of Hamden matches in that. And absolutely, I still I still picture walking to the game, and it was like walking to the game in a daze, like you know when you're ever sat in the like a dream, yeah. We feel that time and walking along from, I don't think it was, it's obviously Sainsbury's now, but it used to be, uh, I don't know what it used to be, there used to be that narrow lane and then you'd, you'd walk along Wheatfield. Oh yeah, yeah, you could walk between, if you if we were playing at Murrayfield and you went to your usual yeah. pubs, you'd go down there. Yeah, and because it's usually like, it's, there's so many fans heading that way, as like, there could be, um, for all I remember, there was no one there. I was kind of just like focused on Tyke Castle was like an apps, like I mentioned earlier on, an absolute bits with some uh, uh, before some games, and that was Hartley's apparently was one of the most equally horrible but ecstatic feelings I've ever had. Jonathan Moore says favorite moment: calling the integrity of football in Scotland into question after the Andy mm-hmm. Davis incident. Before mm-hmm. everyone knew, he was mad as a box of frogs. Was hugely disappointed he got no support from other teams. There remains no integrity, and um, Jonathan got some other um, other points below that. But I thought that was a it was a good one, not specifically that moment, but it's one thing that endeared Romanov to um, the Hearts fans, and I think to a degree, and it was so it was a long time ago now, but I do remember other fans not necessarily liking Romanov but enjoying someone actually, I guess, challenging the status quo, if that's if, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. It does, because no one had really done that before. Um, after Aberdeen were the last team outside the old firm to win the league, what was it, 1984-85? Because then Celtic pipped us to, to the league in 86, and then it's been Rangers and Celtic ever since. And since then, no one's really... With gravitas, that's it, you can have a goal, but people were running scared for so long. And you see the way that the the, the SPFL or the SFA... Now, how it's made up and the perception among non-Rangers and Celtic supporters, or certainly non-Celtic supporters, about how it's made up and the influence that they have, he didn't care. He was someone who... Vladimir Romano, uh, Vladimir Romano was someone who did not care about consequences because he, he wasn't a respecter of reputations. And you need to have that. You need to have that kind of not caring to be able to do that and to call people or individuals or organisations into question. And that's what he did. I think that's what it goes back to what you asked about <clears throat> comparing him to Ann Budge and how he's viewed by Hearts fans. And I think a lot of Hearts fans would have looked at what's happened or transpired over the last seven, eight months, especially during the summer with the SPFL's resolution and looked back like Vlad when it started, stood for this. He would have caused a massive shitstorm and he would have done something to kind of almost stand up for the club even more. And I think sometimes Hearts fans look at it that way, that because of his anti-establishment, any chance to have a dig at the SFA or SPL as it was back then, or the old firm, he would have taken it. Got some more good tweets I'll, I'll nip through. Alan Robson, who um, was the who worked at Hearts during the Romanov era, he says, um, the best memory for me was the Valdas team talks. He'd walk into the room with a massive book, open it up, flick through the pages and announce, we need three points, close the book and sit it, and sit and stare at everyone. What a motivator he was. <laughs> um, God, he was one. Valdas was one who I, I felt for at times. Obviously, he, he had that... Um, sabbatical stroke sick leave that he was put on but I think he really felt the strain during um, Romanov's tenure we've got Catch-22 says Bednar boxing which was of course with Romanov as his favourite memory um, favourite moment, Burley being sacked again, another one for that as the worst moment, Rudy Best signing and again Benny Eusis as the worst um, Matthew Harold picks that Champions League game um, and the Champions League music playing after the Aberdeen game, which was, of course, a big moment, a big relief and a release of a lot of tension. Uh, worst moment, and here is a good one, which I'd, I'd managed to block from my memory until Matthew, unfortunately, mentioned it. 19% possession at Easter Road under Malafeev in the League Cup in 2006. That, that was, oh was that Bobby Nielsen played right, right wing? I can't even remember, but I remember, did we not have, like, Hartley up top. Um, that, we lost one 0 that game. Rob it? Jones scored, but we we never. Yeah, we 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 genuinely had nineteen percent possession. Yeah, the guy. I still remember the guy in front of me just uh, in, in in a fit of rage at how piss poor we were, just breaking a seat, but not like uh, out of out of malice to hips, just out of uh, pure rage. Just but, oh, yeah, Hulk that, just tearing up with his hands. Harrowing. See when you look. See when you look at that team. That's not a bad team. Gordon and goal. Then this isn't positionals, this is just um, numbers. Nielsen, Gonsalves, Presley, Tal, Berra, Miko, Hartley, Valitska, Aguiar and Zaliukas. That's all right. It's better than our team now. Did did, um, did Valitska go off? I'm sure he put Hartley up front at one point. He might have done. The subs, Jamie Mole came on for Solius Miko. Oh, you said it was a good um, team and then you mentioned him. 
<laughs> Barasar came on for Robbie Nielsen, and um, the caravan man came on for Marius Zaliukas, which suggests that Marius, Marius is, I mean, how do they do it in London Hearts? When they do numbers 1 to 11, is that positional numbers? Yes, I'll have to check right, with so Davey, but he does it by position, but I can't remember Yeah, so he's got exactly. Zaliukas as number 11, right, which suggests that Marius played in an attacking role, because Michaela come on for him. Um after 80 minutes, so maybe the maybe the team was was all right on paper, but the positions were no. not normal. Yeah. yeah, so Nielsen Nielsen definitely played right wing. Which so who was right back? Tall. Uh, Tall was right back because obviously right, so Beran, and Presley yeah. and Gonçalves and Tall. There's your four. So Nielsen wide right in midfield. Michalinas um, left, and then Aguar Hartley now. We're still trying to work, work out the team 14 years later. Um, in a defeat. Takis, unused sub. Of course he was an unused sub. What did he ever do in football? <laughs> what was the Hibs team by this? Oh my God. Shelton Martis played. Um, Markowski was in. Goal. Goal. I, I was trying to block Mark this out. Thought. I don't want reminders. How did we lose this? We need, we need to go back. we had 19% we, possession. <laughs> yeah, but with those players... This, we, we need to open an investigation right now. John Collins, the manager. Malkowski, Whitaker, Murphy, Martis, Michael Stewart, Rob Jones, Scott Brown, Kevin Thompson, Chris Killen, Ivan, uh, Ivan Sproul, Ivan Sproul, a Russian icon. <laughs> Ivan <laughs> Sproul. Meruan Zimama. Bugs the tricks that kid, but yeah. Uh, Fletcher on the bench. Hey, according, according to the BBC... According to the BBC uh, report on it, it was a th- uh, they said it was a three-man Hearts backline. But I, I still remember. I f- I'm sure, I still remember Nielsen playing as a right wing, uh, right wing in front of Tall. It might have been a right wing back. You could have had Presley, Berra, and and Tall right. with Nielsen yeah, on one side and Savage. What? We're just taking ourselves back. I don't want to. I don't want to take ourselves back to dissect a appalling performance against Hibs in two thousand and six. We want to know. We want to know why we were unable to get twenty percent of possession and uh, only get nineteen percent with those players. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch this. I'm gonna watch the highlights of that. You game watch the highlights tonight, this. and you no, can feedback. Uh, yes. Feedback next I'll, week. I'll do it after still game after the terrace, <laughs> which is obviously both after the Hearts game, and then I can do it. <sighs> I'm not convinced about an hour for the terrace. I'm not convinced about an hour. Oh, you're getting to that now, are you? Like, I just throw, just throw that real in. random. The, the other thing I was going to do, um, I love the content <laughs> of, of the terrace, but I'm just not convinced about the other. The other thing I wanted to do today, we won't have time to do it, but I'm going to throw it in because this is one hell of a tangent. Players that were at Hearts last season and what they've gone on to do this season, none of them have done very well apart from Connor Washington. Anyway, I digress substantially. <sighs> Right. And I throw the floor back to the uh, the moderator. Okay, let's skip through some other things since we've we've gone off in some wild tangents. Um, Steve Weddle mentions worst moment as Athens, um, and and it was mm-hmm. one that I was going to mention the Burley um, sacking that people highlight often as the the turning point. I thought Athens was the um, the moment where things really could have changed for like in a, in a long term sense. And not necessarily just Athens, but that whole two-legged um, tie well, with, yeah. with with Ike Athens, because that was obviously one match away from, or two matches away from the Champions League group stages and a minimum of 10 million quid. Um, 
And obviously when we were leading in that home home game, I know that Athens were much better than us, even when we were leading. But I always felt that red card for Aguiar, we, we never got back into that tie from that point. And there was obviously disaster after disaster that preceded it, um, especially with team selection and then red cards for earrings being worn and such like. But that, that, that certainly did feel like a changing point. You know that That's where we could have really maybe secured ourselves as being a bigger hitter than what I guess we are, what we were. Um, so for me, that was the bit... first leg. I'd go back to the first leg. I, I think Athens as the tie is a, is a decent response. But I'd go, I'd go back before the three 0 defeat, before the Aguiar red card, before the jewelry, where a goal up after Miko scored at Murrayfield, and yeah. with two minutes of normal time remaining, we're going to take a one goal lead and crucially a clean sheet away to Athens. Having already taken a nil-nil draw in um, in where was it Bosnia, Shiroki yeah. Brieg. Um, they were pish though, to be fair. No, don't so were hips, <laughs> but they had eighty-one percent possession. Um, we're one nil up, and then Capitanos and Liberopolis with the two goals, and then even even the second leg with Jamie Mole up front, the first leg and the team sheet arriving on our desks at the Olympic Stadium in Athens for the second leg. Crushing, crushing blows. Wasn't even kicked off and Jamie Moe was up front. Jesus. How are we going to chase that down with him up front? It's a good point. It's a good point. So we've got many more um, many more responses. So thank you to everyone who messaged. I, I, I can't get through them all. But I thought I'd quickly run through our thoughts if there are any different ones. So I, I've already mentioned Dundee United game is probably going to feel like my least favourite memory during the or worst moment during the Romanov era apart from how it ended my favourite um, you mentioned it already Joel briefly Rangers at home September 2005 the game that we it, it gave us our 8th win out of 8 I think to start the season and put us 11 points clear at the time of the team that were the holding champions and it was the first time for me that it felt like a real shift in power and a change in mentality I remember, obviously, I sat in Section G um, and we were right next to the Rangers fans and having been to see Hearts against Rangers and Celtic in the past, it always had that feeling of they are superior to us. We can maybe get excited and give it a bit of atmosphere, but they've got the confidence, they've got the quality, they are the big hitters going into this game. We will probably lose. If we get something, it'll be great for us because we're not expected to. Whereas that game, I remember looking over and their end was just so quiet for them. There wasn't the usual bounce and singing. There wasn't the usual confidence. That was coming from us. And when Bednar scored after 14 minutes, it felt like inevitable. Almost like when it now feels like inevitable when Rangers and Celtic bang in the opening goal. That was the first time I'd felt like that. And I guess I very rarely felt like that as a Hearts fan in terms of facing the the kind of holding champions in Scottish football facing one of Rangers or Celtic in the top flight. Obviously, we played Rangers and, and were better than them in the championship. And actually, not just feeling confident for that one-off game, but feeling like we're meant to be here. We're 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 in the same we're in the same ballpark as you now, and we're probably going to win this game, and you know it. The that was just knocked something over there. But that, that was... Uh, You're on the beers already, oh, Joel, aren't you? That's why you're knocking. <laughs> I, I, I go back to, I go back to <laughs> when we were talking about how uh, it was around that period where the sun was shining and you just, as you kind of just had a good feeling about that day. 
Yeah. And as, as soon as Bednar scored, but I was going to say, as soon as Bednar scored, you also remember he got injured not long after that. I think Marvin Andrews put in a really bad tackle on him and it was it, w- it was one of those where, again, a small small turning point in that Bednar wasn't really quite this, the same the rest of that season. Yeah, and we didn't really get to see that. That's, you mentioned about us having one of the best start, well, the best starting 11. We didn't really see that starting 11 that much. No, no, that's a, that's a fair point. And Bednar was obviously a, a big part of that. And I think George Burley, did he not say he was the most talented young player he'd ever worked with when when he I mean he, he did he did I know he had his he, he had his we'll say issues but he did absolutely brilliant when he went down to West Brom he absolutely banged him and so he was a player I think who we saw flashes of what he was capable of but really didn't see the best off best of him no, but again that, he gave yeah. us one of, that was a it was a fantastic memory I think Scatchell's the obvious best signing but I wanted to chuck um in terms of worst signing of the Romanov era, I know there's a lot of choices, but one, I think pound for pound, Bezlija has to be up there. Because, mm-hmm. not you know, there were worse players in terms of ability than him, but obviously a record transfer fee when Romanov eventually um, answered the, the debt letters that he got, the final warnings for <laughs> lack of payment. Um, but you're talking, what, it was 850 grand, the, the fee, and over the what, two years he was there paying wages, you know, you, you could be talking a couple of million, maybe two million quid or something that we spent on him for, I think maybe, I didn't actually open this up, but maybe, what, 10 appearances or something it was, and not very good ones at that. And you think about how far, I mean, that's more than what our annual wage budget was um, when we were going through the, um, the points deduction season. So that type of thing, it's crazy when you think about that one player costing potentially a couple of million quid for a handful of appearances and not very impressive ones when you compare to, I guess, the modern the modern age. Um, for, so for you guys, so Mark, um, favourite memory, least favourite memory, best signing, worst signing of the of the Romanov era? Favourite memory was, was Hearts Aberdeen, mm-hmm. Castles securing Champions League qualification, which, which we've been over. Um, Least favourite memory was just the whole kerfuffle that surrounded the sacking of of George Burley and then subsequently many years later when people said, involved with the club, it wasn't a surprise. Because at the time, it was a massive surprise. Yeah, I'd written down Skatchel as the most fun signing and, and um, Takis Fisas and Garis Jankowskis. I mean, we, you talk about players arriving at a football club past their prime. If that was Takis past his prime, which it, it wasn't it wasn't that much past it because he'd been a mainstay of, of the Greek squad in 2004 so I, I still think we got a, we got a lot of his good stuff yeah. um Jankowskis was a little bit older but still really good worst signings basically you mentioned I'm gonna go for for weirdest signing um just with regards to Hearts signing a goalkeeper who never really played for the football club and ended up being a first choice at two World Cups. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Symboli. Ryan Symboli. Just nuts. I mean, he had no. T- we signed him from the Marseille reserves as one of the 11. I remember that press conference. There were many weird press conferences at Tynecastle around that time. But we were in the Gorky suite and they must have had to put together, I reckon, if it's just normal little kind of tables. Um, we're not talking round ones. We're talking the, the kind of rectangular ones. It must have been the world's biggest kind of throw 
to cover at least six or seven tables because they were all sat behind the one desk. And after the press conference with Ricks, we all kind of, each player had his own round table with about eight seats. Anyone who's been to the hospitality at the Gorgie Suite will have probably sat at these tables. And they all had this name tag on it. And you, you took it in turns. It was like speed dating. And he's like, hi. <laughs> and no one was, no one was sat at this table with poor Rais and Bowley. Can you imagine if we'd known then what we know now? Jesus. And Bowley, so he still plays. He plays in Saudi Arabia. Um, he's only 34, so he's actually three years younger than Craig Gordon. Um, he, he won the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations and started every game, played every um, minute apparently, and uh, was man of the match in the final against Senegal and was named best goalkeeper of the tournament. Yeah. That was last I mean, year. That, yeah. You've 75 Algerian caps. It's absolutely nuts. And we signed them as a kid. And he was, what age was he, right? So he was born in 86. We signed him in 2000. Ah, he's a month older than me. Exactly a month older than me. He was 20 years old. So he wasn't like this kind of, this kind of non-entity. And he played for the Marseille Reserves. We weren't to know at the time. And obviously we had a decent goalkeeper there as well. But just, just bizarre. So he's my most bizarre signing out, out, out of them all. Goodness me. It's funny because, you know, obviously a lot of Wikipedia um, is not entirely accurate. And when it comes to club honours, <laughs> they obviously just associate club honours with a player being at that club at the time rather than are they involved, were they part Scott, of that um, team. Scottish Cup winner. Has so it? His, his only club honour is Scottish Cup 2006. So you can imagine <laughs> if someone looks at Rice and Bowley's page in many years, maybe his, his, his grandkids or something if Wikipedia's still kicking about and goes oh look at that granddad won a Scottish Cup for Heart of Midlothian Football Club in 2006 what did you how did that feel <laughs> oh Christ he's he's losing his mind already he can't even remember playing for Hearts <laughs> anyway Joel what about you so favourite memory least favourite best signing worst signing so I've obviously seen some of the responses on Twitter so I thought I would mix up and not go for the obvious so my favourite Romanoff memory is uh, September 11, 2005 it's a personal one when we won 4-1 at Livingston Romanoff yeah. travelled yeah. on the bus a supporters bus mm-hmm. I got to shake the great man's hand outside uh, Ammonville I think as it was back then yeah he went He went to the game I remember that there was, like, was 7,000 Hearts fans and about yeah. 7 Livy fans <laughs> it was again it was, it was early on in the season we were far better than Livingston, yeah. and it was just we just just overpowered them. Some great goals in that game, and it was just it was just an all round good game. Well, on Santana, yeah. I think. Good moment, yeah. Least favorite Romanov memory. It's not actually Vlad. It's Roman Romanov. Any time, any time I saw him or he spoke, he just gave off some of the worst qualities possible. He was he just seemed conniving, he was sneaky, and most of all incompetent. You can just kind of kind of just picture. Um, like one of Donald in. Trump's sons. Yes, and he he just he, he can just kind of picture him coming into like uh, Rickerton or Tynecastle, and like someone like Paul Hartley tell him to fuck off, and him running away crying, <laughs> saying he's going to tell his dad. Um, I, I, I do I do uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of referencing Harry Potter, but it was like a real Malfoy vibe to him. <laughs> I get that. It's it's funny. I think um, it looks like they've actually changed it, but. Um, I do look at soccer base sometimes, although BBC's Paul Mitchell would get me in trouble for, for believing anything that soccer base says. Um, but I remember not too long ago, um, 
for some reason I noticed, and they they have changed it now, but this was in the last year. It said Roman Romanov is Hearts chairman still um, on soccer base, which maybe highlights how um, how much you can't trust it. But yeah, he was um, yeah the the Rodney wasn't he? Was that what they used to call him? The Rodney yeah. of the Rodney, yes. <laughs> so um, best and worst signings, Joe. Best signings, I obviously mentioned Scatchel. Fisas was a massive fan of Fisas. Uh, obviously, you have to mention Mauricio Pinilla, who could fall into best or worst side. I was going to say, are you saying best or worst? <laughs> two of my two who I think are perhaps so underrated, and so two of my favourite signings, uh, Christos Carapiris and Suso Santana. Yeah, Carapiris was a good player. Yeah. Pinilla's like almost a representation of like how we're talking about Vlad and thinking of him highly despite all the downsides. You know, people, yeah. people talk about Pinilla in the same way, and you're like, he cost us hundreds of thousands millions maybe um and did played eight times and scored two goals but i think because he was so dashing and handsome and he showed what when he actually turned up on what was what maybe two or three occasions he looked far better than what hearts would ever normally get but um but all in all it's not someone we should really i guess um um, kind of think that highly of really should we no, no, but I, I think it's football fans, though, isn't it? He is. He he's someone that in, in other, if he maybe looked a bit differently, or maybe he was he, he wasn't foreign that we'd we'd, we'd call him a wage thief. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, and so that which leads us on to our side. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned these. I I kind of just uh, wrote down, I just jotted down a few. Curse uh, Edwardus Curtius mentioned them before. Uh, was he, he a footballer? Was... was he a footballer? I mean, he was a goalkeeper. He just he, he, he more resembled a really incompetent henchman in a, <laughs> uh, in an action movie. Klimek. I'm surprised Klimek's name's not come up. It, oh, it came oh, up with people. Come, people tweeted it. I just didn't get a chance to go through them all. But Klimek. Jamie said Klimek. Um, I, I think someone else mentioned him, not um, by name, but by sitting on a horse in an unfortunate photo shoot which everyone always remembers yeah so i think maybe he, he could uh, i think maybe that just that moment uh, probably keeps Something him from up. being the worst signing <laughs> because it's, it's so amusing uh, a couple more was tiago costa just because i think there was a i don't know if this was kind of apocryphal tale that they made an arse of his contract and he was paid a lot more than they should have been i think it was one game and then there was this was right at the end of the Romanov period, and obviously this wasn't Romanov who signed them, but Paul McCallum. Oh, oh Jesus geez. Christ. Yeah. Oof. It's funny, you talk about paying um, players more. We we heard from, um, someone had mentioned at some point, whether it's true or not, that Juho Makala, um, during the Romanov era, had apparently been on um, a goal bonus that would probably be two or three times more than what we currently pay players. Um, and that goal bonus applied in all competitions, which meant after a certain League Cup victory over Alawa Athletic, who I think were third tier then possibly, um, he received um, treble goal bonus. Um, and if the figure is correct, which it might not be, it was it'd been mentioned by someone um, that would probably put him on for that game alone, maybe more than what most current Hearts players earn in maybe five or six weeks. Stop, stop skirting around the issue. He was on six grand a goal. <laughs> Apparently, couldn't yeah. believe the wages he was on. He earned, never mind appearance fee, he earned £18,000 for scoring a hat-trick against Aloha. <laughs> he could have bought Aloha with those three goals. <laughs> 
I was being I was being diplomatic about it. We're not giving away who told us that. I know, I know. So Costa was mentioned. I know Screpes, uh, Fernando Screpes, his contract. There was there was issues about his contract, which uh, could have put Hearts in danger of having to pay out for a lot of money. Jeez, oh, it's funny as well because we were talking about um, we were talking about different players, and that's how Makala was one of them. And <laughs> just the answer we got from someone who played um, played at Hearts during the Romanov era. We, we, what did we say? Just was Makla better than what he what he showed on the pitch? You know, was it was he better in training? Was there something more to him than that? The answer, no, <laughs> just no. Which is probably no surprise to most people. Because Stevie Frail, that was a time when I think we were struggling up front, and someone asked uh, Frail if. Makala was the answer, uh, or he could be used. And Frail said something, I'm not going to cut off my uh, nose to spite my face. So essentially, I'm not going to say anything. But no, he's not going to be involved because he's uh, he, he's, he's no better than, I'm sure, Shabalaz would probably have preferred Eggert Johnson up front than uh, Joel Makala. I think that probably brings us to the end of our Romanov discussion at least for this week i'm 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 certain we will will revisit again at some point um before we go i was just i was just trying to think of end music and um or closing credits music and <laughs> and uh, the um of course the classical music which i have been reminded is la donna e mobili yeah from giuseppe verdi's rigole and you were just you were dying to say that would be obviously the song we should play out on and it also reminded me of why i think or why it was i don't think it was even a theory that one of my favorite players in the early romanov era mr julian brelier fell out of favor because mr romanov loved hearing his name ringing out around Tynecastle to that tune and then um the hearts fans adopted a different name into the tune because julian brelier fitted quite nicely into it and I've heard a few people suggest that Romanov didn't like that, which is why very quickly Brelier became a player that Romanov did not rate and looked to offload. <laughs> but thank you for coming on, Joel. I appreciate it. I know you are uh, a Vlad sheep. Um, Self-confessed, yes. It's, uh, so I wonder what what, what the next is, because you've got Vlad sheep, and now there's happy clappers these days. Um, but yeah, these are all kickback-isms, aren't they? Back then, it was hat kickers for people who oh, yes, were of course. not fans of uh, Vladimir Romanov. Indeed. Well, if if we ever touch upon Cos- the subject Cos- again... kickers, wasn't it? <laughs> Should that, would that not have been better? With the that, that, would have been the, that would have been the, the correct terminology, I think. Yeah, hat kickers is fine. <laughs> we'll stick with that. Um, and we'll be, we'll be back next week to actually talk about some current football, some modern football, some present day football um, after Hearts have played Dunfermline Athletic uh, this Friday night which is in a few hours and Alawa Athletic at Tynecastle on Tuesday evening. Um, until then, thank you for tuning in and uh, yeah, we'll play out on the, the tune that will I guess, take us back to some some days of, 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 of feeling like hearts could really challenge the top two and then feeling like we, we could go out of business. So it was all it was all ups and downs, but um, still on the whole, people think quite fondly about that era under that crazy Russian.
tempo e di pensiero sempre un amabile leggiadro viso il pianto in riso e men sognero la rome motti fate un malento Thank you. 